that, that's my easiest way to kind of explain it. It's like, see it as a physical store, put that into a sleek note uh, concept or any other tool, like try not to be annoying by asking the same questions. And if you just came from the newsletter, the classic example, like you just came from the newsletter, why ask them to sign up to the newsletter again? Those kind of things, basic things. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today I'm with Emil Christensen, who is the CMO and co founder of Sleek Note. And Sleek Note bills itself as the internet's favorite pop up builder. So I have a ton of questions ready for Emil, but first I want to say welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Paris. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. Uh, I've been listening to the show a few times now since you invited me, and I'm I can say that it's uh, for sure that you're listening now, that you you made the right choice. It's definitely interesting to see people interesting, uh, like interviewing interesting profiles like this. And I'm sure we could dive into why pop-ups are not that bad today as well and how we actually do marketing for it because I'm sure mm -hmm. people would be interested in that. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to that very soon. First of all, Emil, can you just tell us what is Sleek Note? Tell us a little bit about the company and, and how you actually wound up founding this company what um, what is the story behind it yeah i'll keep it very short like uh, our background is actually in, in e-commerce i've been in agencies and been on the other side of the table as well so been an e-commerce manager agency consulting all of those things and eight years ago we just saw the need of like converting more people through email list and um I was selling a lot through our email list back in the days. So I'm still still am today, um, and that's why we kind of invented Sleek Note at the beginning. It was actually hard coded all of it, and turned out that people wanted to buy it and have it as a software at the time. So we developed a software, and without this being a 15 minute introduction to Sleek Note, fast forward a couple of years now, there's a couple of thousands of customers that's paying us every month as a subscription. Um, you can create whatever you need uh, in the system as a pop-up or a slide-in or an embed, which is also mm -hmm. something that is kind of the future for us, where it's not necessarily a slide-in or a pop-up, as you would call it, where it takes the entire screen. No, it could be a very discrete slide-in or an embed on your website with advanced conditions and triggers. Uh, it could be a sidebar, a top bar, all of those things, uh, which is kind of the vision for sleek note at the time we wanted mm -hmm. we were in e-commerce ourselves so we wanted a pop-up that was not annoying because there were other tools out there but to be honest uh, they were annoying and um, mm -hmm. they changed a lot today so they also yeah. implemented triggers and conditions and all of those things mm -hmm. but we were the first one to have like a small teaser instead of just having a pop-up so a teaser in mm -hmm. the bottom left the bottom right where it's like small teaser that would just slide in instead of having this insanely big pop-up that took over the entire screen you mm -hmm. might remember like welcome matt there was like a lot of customers mm -hmm. at the time ask us why don't you have that or it's like that's not our vision like that's to be honest that's freaking annoying that like something pulls down the entire website and you can't see anything than mm -hmm. <laughs> one big what i would call welcome matt at the time of one big pop-up where you had to mm -hmm. close it that's yeah. annoying yeah, so that's against our vision. In my in my view, I think when the the real breaking point came when mobile really took over, because with something, well, an interstitial were to take over your entire mobile screen, now that was even more disruptive, I think, to the flow of a user, even than on desktop. But in your opinion, so I imagine a lot a lot of what you do as you market to e commerce owners and decision makers is to try to convince them maybe to turn the tide uh, against this negative misconception about pop-ups because they they really go back to the start of practically to the start of the internet really and of course in the early in the early days they were they were horrendous 
Um, but but how do you stem how do you stem this misconception when people still have that idea about this is what a pop up is and that therefore they're all they're all very bad? Yeah, sure. Then we we can dive into some of the interesting stuff now because from the the start of the company, and I could say as well that I'm running the marketing department. Uh, so I didn't really think that I introduced myself in the beginning here probably uh, enough. Uh, but from the beginning, it's literally. There are two tracks. So there's those that want this, that just want pop-up and slide-ins right now. They know they just want it. That's like mm -hmm. one track. And we use mostly paid around those. And of course, organic as well. Uh, search intent where there's a high search intent for like, get me a pop-up right now. Mm -hmm. um, that's like a high search intent. But then there's also creating uh, not necessarily a need, but through content marketing, and this sounds very buzzwordy, but it's it's really not. But through content marketing, from day one almost, has been our strategy to create content around pop-up and slide-ins that's non-intrusive and how there's use cases that's non-intrusive and actually help for your visitor instead of help for you as mm -hmm. a website owner. Mm -hmm. um, that's been our strategy from day one. So it's like a search intent, but also a kind of a mind shit mind shift uh, mm -hmm. that you kind of change your mind around the pop-up uh, conceptions mm -hmm. of this is annoying. And after after eight years into this game, I'm sure that you have enough statistics and use cases that the, I, I'm sure now that there are certain best practices that are more or less proven out to improve conversion rates. And there's also equally, I'm sure, other practices that have proven to be harmful or, or um, even, you know, Hurting, hurting conversion rates when they're done too aggressively. Where is that line where e-commerce companies really shouldn't cross? I think for me, without going way too much into details here, because I could talk about this for an hour, and I don't mm -hmm. think it should be only about pop-ups, but for me, it's like there's so many things. I literally had a customer webinar this morning where we talked about exactly this with examples and so on, and for me, it's about setting the triggers and the conditions right. So if you mm -hmm. have one pop-up for the entire website, that's just like pop-ups within 30 milliseconds or one second. And it's like one pop-up that says, hey, here's a gift card of like 10%. That's like the classic pop-up, which mm -hmm. is, to be honest, pretty annoying that you just, you just came to a site. You haven't mm -hmm. even seen the product yet, but you're getting a pop-up that offers you 10% off, which... Mm -hmm again, thinking about the customer journey. So in my opinion, for me, it's a lot about like relating it to if you had a physical store. If you had a physical store, some cases which I find really annoying is that if you go into the store, you get asked right away, like wait just one millisecond and then ask me. Mm -hmm. um, and also based on the conditions, if you've, been, if you've seen that I've been here before, if I were in the store an hour ago, you should treat it differently than if I just mm -hmm. come in the first time. Or if you can see that I'm walking towards the female section right now, and obviously um, <laughs> that's probably not for me, but it's mm -hmm. like a gift, then you should treat that differently. And based that on to sleek note here is like, it gets annoying if you don't use triggers and conditions. So those are the triggers and condition in the physical stores, and it's mm -hmm. the same for sleek note. It's like, don't have a pop-up on every single page. So if you go through the store, don't like make sure that there's like not five people asking you, do you need help? <laughs> there should mm -hmm. only be one, but they should yeah. also ask at the right time. Um, yeah. And if I've been here before, I should maybe get another message. It's like, oh, we actually got a new one since you got here. Mm -hmm. uh, because I remember we talked about this the last time. Yeah, And that's what we have, like we've been deep diving into Shopify. We've been deep diving into these stores and, uh, through something we call search data, um, site data, where the shop can send data to us. So they can send like, oh, what do they have in their basket? Did they buy before? All of those things. So it's not mm -hmm. necessarily cookie-based. Um, and they can send that so they're different messages. Mm -hmm. I know it's a long uh, answer still, but I think that, yeah. you, that that's my easiest way to kind of explain it. It's like, see it as mm -hmm. a physical store, put that into a sleek note uh, concept or any other tool, Try not to be annoying by asking the same questions. Mm -hmm. And if you just came from the newsletter, the classic example, like you just came from the newsletter, 
why I asked him to sign up to the newsletter again. Yeah. Those kind of things, basic things. What, what I see so much is uh, a lot of people that are just defaulting, defaulting to something that lacks real imagination and creativity, maybe just because they think, uh, I, I really do believe it. It's just, it's just as a result of not really thinking through where that user is in the journey. But just putting a newsletter sign up in front of everybody who goes to exit or giving a flat 10% discount to, to everybody who you think might might be about to exit, uh, I think it's just it's a lack of uh, understanding different segments and where they are in the journey. And I think a lot of this connects to the remarketing ad campaigns themselves. And I think the closer that these types of these types of overlays uh, and the, the messaging should really mirror what that user is seeing in the remarketing in those remarketing campaigns. So if you have an abandoned shopping cart with certain certain products in there. And you would be receiving an email, uh, um, or you'd be you'd be seeing a remarketing ad that would encourage you to come and finish your purchase. Then, uh, then I think that the same message should be supported as once they get to the site that you want to, you still want to use that to get them across the line. And what I see in the SaaS world a whole lot is, in particular, just exit, exit pop-ups or overlays. And to me, that's a sign of people, of marketers slightly panicking that oh no, we're about to lose them. Um, and in, in some cases, it's just uh, before you go, sign up for the newsletter or download this white paper. And I, I do think in a lot of cases, it's lack of imagination that's uh, causing yeah. them to default yeah. to some of the you know, so-called best practices. But, but users become blind to that stuff after a while, I think, because if, I don't know, you just start to expect that, all right, as soon as I go to leave, I'm going to be offered their white paper or I'm going to be asked to sign up and... Um, so I think I think it can be personalized a lot a lot more. In in your experience, though, are there any statistics about the types of experiences, the actual types of user experiences that contribute most to improved conversion rates when it comes to either something coming in an elegant way from the bottom up or from the side, or versus something that might just pop pop up or even a chat experience? Is there anything that you can share? Any deeper insights that you can share about the real experiences that are working best for e-commerce? right now yeah uh, i can and i can also one thing that i want to elaborate on a little bit is that like w a lot of us have to con like the idea of a pop-up is a email lead generation like for mm -hmm. me a pop-up is so much more than lead generation if you think it's through uh, the best customers of ours have maybe yes one pop-up that's a lead generation pop-up but they also have a slide in when they go to a specific category. So they mm -hmm. go to any category, uh, let's say a brand category. On that brand category, instead of just saying, oh, here's all of my products, there's a small slide in, especially here with Christmas. I imagine you do the same here with as me, Paris. It's like, uh, if you have a wife or a girlfriend, it's like, well, like what are you like if you were to buy a gift here are three examples of good gifts like most popular gifts right now or uh, here are something for um the goal that's very difficult to find something for so it's like you can also use mm -hmm. it to increase your sales as well and even in in checkout we've seen so instead of having a check uh, an excellent intent that says hey you can get 10 percent discount if you uh, order now then why don't you have an excellent tent that says, hey, I can see you're about to leave. Do you have any questions? Our uh, support mm -hmm. is ready to reply right now. Just click here. Uh, mm -hmm. And outside opening hours, it's like, we're like you have another one. So it's time scheduled. So it's like, what I'm trying to say is like, there's so much more into it. But what we really see is that it's not, re it doesn't really matter that much if it's a pop-up or if it's sliding the left side, right side, top bar, left bar, right bar, mm -hmm. uh, bottom bar, uh, embedded, it doesn't really matter that much on the conversion rate. What mm -hmm. really matters is input fields and um, the condition and triggers around it. Mm -hmm. For example, we see that you go uh, literally to have a plus 300% worse conversion rate if you go from two to three input fields. And that you have to solve that Interesting. with what we call, yeah, you have to solve that with what we call multi-step. So it's like, in step one, you ask for a name and email. We send that to the email system. And in step three, then you can ask for whatever more you need. But it's like a classic example, especially in B2B, where it's like, well, we need company name. And a classic one that most uh, 
uh, like bigger customers fail on is that in their email system, they need first name and last name as two different input fields. Mm-hmm. So then they get three input fields. So yeah. that means uh, like literally this is based on billions of sessions. You can go read a blog post where we wrote like specific numbers. It's over 300% that wow. you lose uh, so from the just third going field, from two to three. The third field just destroys your conversion rate. Once you go to three fields on one step, you've, Completely. Gone, you've gone too far. Yes. That's interesting. That's great. Yeah. Um, and and I'm as I look through your own website, and it, the the irony here is that you are a SaaS company, but selling to e-commerce. So your conversion rate here, uh, primarily, it appears to be free trial starts. I see there's a seven-day free trial. How much of your use of SleekNote on your own site, SleekNote.com, would you attribute to the conversion rate of your your free trial conversions? Oh, that's a difficult one to answer. But I think our funnel is a little bit different because if you look at a marketing funnel now, and we can talk about the higher picture of like the constant marketing that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. like that leg, the entire leg there of content marketing is based on getting relevant visitors into our content mm-hmm. and getting them into our email list. That's like step one in that funnel. So it contributed like a huge amount of our current customers until this year, like literally this year, remember the business eight years old, yeah. we haven't had outbound sales. It's only been based on inbound. Mm-hmm. And inbound is what you would call content marketing and also paid, but like literally no sales that's like calling customers and just say, mm-hmm. hey, do you want this? Like based on what we can get to sales. And that's like mainly through content marketing where that's yeah. the first step. So it's like, it's hard just for me to set a percentage on it mm-hmm. uh, what our own product has done, but our own product has actually from day one been such a big part of it because that's the first step in the funnel is like get X percent to the blog. Just take one example of the content marketing that everyone can relate to. Um, get X percentage of relevant visitors to the blog. Mm-hmm. Get X percentage of those into email subscribers and from email subscribers into uh, warm leads to warm leads to customers. Yeah, excellent. I'm actually looking at some statistics right now on Ahrefs about your organic traffic. It appears that since around August, you're enjoying a really nice lift in traffic. Um, somewhere in the neighborhood of, say, 40, 40 50%, uh, according to what I'm saying, and I know this is not perfectly accurate. First of all, are you, are you experiencing a really nice lift? Is that seasonal just because of the time of year that we're in and for your industry? Um, or did uh, you have some no. sort of a breakthrough in the last few months? Because it looks like there's a real breakout in organic traffic. That's interesting because our analytics and our <laughs> attribution tools say something else. Uh, so okay. I don't really trust Ahrefs uh, organic search that much um, because I like I have access to quite a lot of uh, in analytics and I've never really seen them been spot on more than like 10% of the time. Okay, um, But even the trend like, itself is, is wrong? No, the trend is okay, uh, but I can say right now they're estimating us to have around 50,000 uh, sessions a month but mm-hmm. as, as organic, and we have around 180,000. Oh, well, yeah, that's like nice. that's one that's that's one example. You can go to similar web and they say we have around uh, five. Uh, what's it, three hundred thousand or something like that? Yeah. So it's yeah. like eh, I don't really trust though. Like, I, mm-hmm. like I, I'm a big fan of Href, um, and tim and what he's doing there and yeah we've had tim on the show uh, a couple of months ago tim was a guest yeah, yeah and we like we part like we partnered with them a few times made some content with them and like mm-hmm. they're, they're great uh the tool is really great like it's one of our, my favorite tools but it's like that part of the tool i don't trust which uh-huh. of course is like <laughs> uh i trust from a link perspective i trust most of it there yeah. um but uh organic is not really what i'm i'm yeah. using them for yeah Hey, fair enough. But I want to I want to ask an, another more detailed question because this is something I have I have to say I've never I've never quite seen this ever before. When I go to your top pages in organic, and I'm looking at the top 100 pages, every single page is a blog post. I, I'm I'm talking about 100 out of 100. Yeah, I don't even see your homepage in here. Is that is that actually true? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. It's not. Um, I could say we have some other landing pages where uh, we get more traffic to it. That's definitely in top 50 as well. Okay. Um, but clearly, uh, th- this is overwhelming. 
that this this growth is fueled so much by blog content. I really want to dig deeper here. And when I go to your blog, the activity level is also, to me, I would say this is outstanding because you're blogging almost, it looks like you're blogging almost every day or a couple of days. Um, do you all have a strict editorial calendar? Can you just walk me through your your whole content marketing machine? Because it looks like it's pretty well oiled. Yeah, sure. Um, I think my first thing is that you say the blog now, and I, I agree that's the most visual part of it right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but for us, we see it as one piece of content. So the I, I can start there. So the classic one that we just made is like, okay, so we have a blog post about everything starts on the blog. You write a blog post about uh, Black Friday marketing. Let's take that as an example. That's mm -hmm. the keyword. We write that blog post. We find a lot of good examples. Uh, we have a good writer that writes that. Uh, when that do that's done, we repurpose that into a webinar. I go on podcasts to talk about it, and I go on to other webinars to talk about it as well. So I mm -hmm. really see it as one big piece of content today where mm -hmm. repurposing is such a big part of it. The process itself is, of course, based on uh, first the keyword research, uh, but also from other parameters like is it close to our SCP? Our SCP is e-commerce. Uh, mm -hmm. with more details to it um medium side what you call smb and like a certain tech spend and all of those things and some of the problems that they are having we're interviewing customers that's in that segment to know which problems they have both from a product perspective also from a marketing perspective we use that into our keyword research where it's also based on search like the classic search volume and all of those things uh, but mm -hmm. Also a lot on like gut feeling and uh, ICP, to be honest. Uh, gut feeling has been a bigger part of it these days, where it's like, okay, what's mm -hmm. the competition out there? How many links do they have? And so on. We yeah. still see links. It's like uh, people have been saying for years, oh, links doesn't matter. I can definitely confirm that links matters uh, still today. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> almost as much as it did like literally five years ago. Um, That's interesting. So yeah. The, the the process is pretty simple. It's like an outline, a feedback on that, and start writing, edit, publish, um, with a project management tool called ClickUp, which we really love. We've been through a lot of them. Mm -hmm. uh, from hey, the same here. Yeah, I, I can attest to that. We're on ClickUp after going through a bunch of, as well, and we love it. It's yeah. like, especially when the team grows, it's like, yeah, you can be in Trello if you're like one person. Then if you're like two person, you can go to Favreau, which is like a Swedish startup, which is really good as well. I can recommend them if you have a smaller team. Then you maybe grow up a little bit. You go to Asana. That's like they're very slow at publishing new things, in my opinion. Then you go to ClickUp, which is like the next thing. And you might, in mm -hmm. my case, like you might want to be a few in your team because if you're not, then it, Maybe it's too much, actually. So for some, it can be a little bit overwhelming, but it really depends on your setup. And mm -hmm. I know yeah. I'm going completely off topic here, but that's, that's a big okay. part no, of it. That's uh, okay. I'm, I'm really interested in that, too, because I think content marketing success at this scale that you're doing, it seems like every couple of days from when I'm looking at these dates, yeah. you, all, you all are producing at a high, high volume for what, what I think, you know, pretty lean team, the production the production volume here is really impressive. So you must have a great process and tools in place. How much work goes into preparing a sort of an outline or a, strate a strategic plan for the content before the writer sits down and writes? Mm, not much. Um, I think the outline mm -hmm. for us is uh, pretty important because the outline depends on the ICP and the keyword research. So mm -hmm. the outline is uh, an hour-ish, two hours. Um, and from there, we can actually start. And do you have the same, is the same person who does the outline and the editorial, is that also the, the writer or do you have different people different touching people. that? Okay. Yeah, different people, but not too many. I think that's been a golden rule from, from my side of things. It's like the, the sooner you get to over two people on any project of any kind, like it becomes meetings, it becomes processes and so mm -hmm. on. So it's like my kind of small little golden rule is like, the maximum of two people is the ideal thing for any piece of content or any like any project. Mm -hmm. uh, there's of course some projects that require like designer and editor and like sure there's some projects I know that, uh, but most projects you can get it done with two people. Yeah, 
So that, that was the second nugget that you've dropped with the number two, which is no, don't do more than two form fields and don't involve yeah. more than two people in your, in your content like the, project. The conversion, the conversion, <laughs> conversion rate will definitely not drop, but your uh, efficiency will yeah. definitely drop. That's, like, that's seen from mm -hmm. many years of working with different companies as well. Like right, right. My consulting days has actually been within productivity and project management that I've helped companies with. And so I've seen it. Uh, firsthand so many times where it's mm -hmm. like yes but you know i have to approve i have to get it approved over here and she has to approve it over here and then this person has to edit it and then yeah. i'm ready to like why like why do you need mm -hmm. to go through this entire process i get that some people might know more about this year but sometimes 80 or 90 percent is way better than those 100 that you're trying to achieve. I, I was about to say the same thing in my experience with content marketing, speed speed kills. You've got to be conscious of speed. If if things if things get slowed down too much because you're trying to get that piece of content from 95%, which is still great, to 99.9 or 100%, that extra 5% is a lot of time and it's usually not worth it. I think at some point you've got to say this is good enough, we believe in it, let's ship it and let's see what happens. And and also in my experience we are still often surprised by which pieces of content really hit it big and which mm -hmm. ones flop. I mean, we still always reserve the right to just be, be surprised that the 80-20 rule uh, still still applies here. And sometimes you just have to say, we're really not sure. We're, we're ready to be surprised in a good way. We're ready to be disappointed too, but we can't keep plowing more time into this. It's good enough. Let's ship it. And if it turns out to be great, then let's, then let's talk about the repurposing plan. And I want to move into that too, because that's really interesting. And I think where a lot of B2B content marketers struggle is, is actually how with limited resources, how does it to decide which content campaigns need the serious repurposing investment? So when you take a blog post that's, that has had some degree of success or it's showing some signs and we say, this is the topic now that we're going to do. We're going to spin off video series, webinars, and we're going to do other types of uh, short form social content because this is the topic that Google is telling us that they're rewarding uh, due to the success of the blog post. Is that how you all approach it? Or do you have a more rigid plan where you say that after we publish, we have steps two, three, four in the, re in the repurposing life cycle that we're going to just go through? Uh, I, I, wish, like, I wish that I had a, a nice formula that I could give you and the listeners to, to say, now you have to repurpose. But for my side of things, like first of all, when you publish something, there's a... There's a promotion part that uh, nine out of ten miss completely, like link building, especially for us. That's link building to almost every single blog post, no matter what. It's like so important. Um, don't mm -hmm. miss out on that, uh, or you would end up just publishing a lot of content and don't get that much traffic. Secondly, from a repurposing standpoint, so when we say repurposing for us, it's been primarily into webinars and podcasts and podcast interviews and those kind of things where we pitch ourselves or uh, somebody asks us to be in a podcast like this here and this is a specific case but if like it's a marketing podcast that want to talk about um, any kind of subject well i would say well i have something about black friday right now on pop-ups um then because i know i have a really good blog post i also have a webinar where i have all of the examples that i could mention in the podcast this case here, of course, a little bit different because we talk about everything. So I don't have anything planned here for repurposing. Uh, but from a repurposing um, angle, to be honest, this is from a gut feeling of the topic. So the topic mm -hmm. itself, uh, is it multi-channel marketing, which is like we have a, just published a blog post about that, a beginner's guide. Like, eh, that's not really something that I want to repurpose because like multi-channel is not really something that we want to deep dive into. Um, or is it like seven proven SMS marketing ideas? That's not something mm -hmm. that we want to go into as well. Um, mm -hmm. But maybe it's a welcome emails because that's pretty, like obviously from our standpoint, it's like welcome emails are sent when you get more email subscribers. So that's mm -hmm. closer to our ICP, yeah. uh, closer to the biggest problem that we can solve. That's the one thing. And then from a gut feeling standpoint, it's like, what is something that's a little bit bigger? Uh, so a lot of it is based on gut feeling and I hate to say that um, mm -hmm. but a lot of it is literally it's an X in our project management tool or it's like yeah, you can mark this as repurposing not, it's not based on formulas but it's based mm -hmm. on we think this is a good idea I, I think that 
there's nothing wrong with, with admitting that a lot of it's gut feel because you've been in this long enough that you're trusting your instinct and your instinct is almost always correct. And I also am oftentimes trying to urge other marketers to trust their instincts more because uh, experience matters. And a lot of times you have a feel for, hey, we can we can get more links. This is something that I see is about to, is trending right now. We can we can milk this a little bit longer. And that's that's mostly instinct telling you this. I don't think there is actually there isn't a magic formula. And I wasn't looking for a I wasn't really looking for a formula rather than if there's any particular signs where you, you say that wow, Google Google gave us a lot of love here on this blog post. We didn't expect this much. That's awesome. So now yeah. let's go out and let's chop this up into 10 repurposed other pieces across video and, and, and images and infographics and whatever else. Um, that's kind yeah, of the approach I, we take at Hop yeah. Online. Yeah, because that also makes sense uh, to, to mm-hmm. wait for Google and see what they kind of... But yeah. for us, it's so close to the... Like for me, I'm looking more at ICP if I have to choose mm-hmm. how close... Like what are the topics that we write that's closest to our ICP, the problems that they have right now? That's the things that we want to mm-hmm. purpose into different kind of content. And I think there's a caveat to it where it's like, okay, but there's also a link building perspective because that's a little bit different for us because we actually look at trends there, not gut feeling. We look at, okay, mm-hmm. what are the things that's getting the organic links? Okay, then mm-hmm. it's probably also because it's easier for us to do it if we start to promote it. So that's mm-hmm. a little bit different than our other promotion part of it. Yeah. Okay. I've been, I've been waiting now. I've been holding back now. It's time to go into link building. Yeah. (laughs) How do you all get, how do you get the links outreach or or otherwise? Uh, Link building is such an interesting thing to talk about today because you don't get a lot of people to say what actually works. Um, And I'm afraid to say everything as well here because I know competitors steal everything, even word to word, what we write. Um, But from our side of things, uh, outreach still works if you do it right. Uh, we definitely go for uh, way, way, way less uh, outreach than we've done five years ago, but way more mm-hmm. personalized outreach. Okay. So we wrote multiple emails with href before we asked them to do a blog post there. We try to build actually connections, all of the things that people say they've done for five years, but I haven't really seen that many do it. We try Mm -hmm. to put that energy and time into it so we know a lot of the writers. And that's another one. It's like what I would recommend if you're new into the game of link building, uh, figure out who is the writers different places and build relationships Mm -hmm. to those because Mm -hmm. they are oftentimes choosing which links that they put in. And if they know you, that's the one thing that we've seen. A lot of freelancers, if they work for a company and get to know the company and like the company, They'll also link to them, not because they're paid for it, but because they know that company is a pop-up tool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they'll use them as examples and know them and see them and use screenshots from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like kind of a different approach to it. Um, so there's not one way that works better th- than others for us, but outreach is still a big thing. Mm-hmm. And the classic through video and personalized things still works. Um, and the way that we kind of do it these days is we do it with personal outreach and ideally we have an intern five or six months that only focus for that uh, every mm-hmm. single year yeah so a lot and of I know work, that almost a full-time position i know there's no particular rule but do you have a, a rough number of links where you would say that's that's enough where we can get top three rankings and let's 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 stop and move on yeah, for me, it's like ten percent more than the highest ranking one uh, okay. with the better with the better links with, um, a, with an equivalent domain authority or something. Or... Yeah, to be honest, I, I use I I still use that old school DR uh, from mm-hmm. uh, Href, but yeah, what I've what I've, what we actually seen in the like over the last maybe year or so, it's not necessarily that DR, which I I think it's never been, but it's more around. Where do you get the link and how many links uh, do they send out from that page? So if it's a blog mm-hmm. post that like spreading the link juice to call it something here to 100 different sites, well, mm-hmm. you won't really get that much even it's though too it's diluted. a DR. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like you can't really use it to anything. So mm-hmm. for us, it's way more about what kind of a link is it and how many links do they have outbound if you are to call it something. Yeah. Um, 
that's more important and is it related to marketing than mm-hmm. the DR itself. So it's it's based on different parameters. We actually made a small scoring sheet to our intern uh, based on different, so they kind of need to hit a goal because LinkedIn links, to be honest, the worst job in the world, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, almost uh, in a marketing world, especially because people won't like you uh, at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you would get like literally replies that says, um, yeah, buzzwords that I don't want to say here in this pod- <laughs> podcast. Uh, and it's not what you want to start your marketing career with. Um, no. So we kind of build systems with scoring points. So they get like X point for a link based on different parameters. And when they get X point, that like unlocks an achievement of like gift cards mm-hmm. and those kind of things. Yeah, too, yeah. Which they like, they, they enjoy because then they get something out of it. It's like a mini sales team within marketing for links. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think I think everyone would, would agree that link building isn't the most fun job in marketing. The best link builders are worth their weight in gold, in my opinion. Oh yes! Like, if there's any good link builders listening to this, please <laughs> send me a message. Um, and me too, oh, by the way. <laughs> if you're ready to exchange links as well in a good way and not just a one-to-one exchange, which I've seen is like a, we can we can. Uh, this is the last part of link building, and we'll move on. But I think a lot of the future I've seen within link building, especially more on the dark side of things, and I won't go super dark on it. But I've seen a lot of link exchange where you don't want to one link, but you want to through to three links. So it's like you make an agreement with five different websites and you link between them without it's necessarily a one-to-one link. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm getting one link from uh, company number five and they're getting one link from company number two and so on. And mm-hmm. like it yeah, goes like into a circle. I, I, but... see this, I see this often now in the, in, in the NBA or other professional sports where there's multi-team trade deals and... So yes, there's, there's three teams, four teams involved. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, let's move on from link building. But I, we, we could have done the whole episode on link building. I'm also um, still fascinated with that topic. And I still believe that it is the factor, despite uh, people always talking more about the latest, sexiest um, algorithm The problem changes. is when you, when you press published on a blog post, People are like, ah, well, now We're it's done. out there. My, oh, my, my really good blog post is out there. Everyone can see it. The world can see it. Google will index it because it's actually the best one. And it could be the best one. And it probably is the best one. But links is just, like, to be honest, it's still, it's, the votes. I, I said 50%. I said 50% for form, but I actually, I'm getting closer to maybe 60, 70% of it. Mm-hmm. When I look at our blog post as ranking, links yeah. just means so much. Mm-hmm. Let's let's pivot over now to the paid side of the of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, how how invested are you all in paid media, paid search, paid social, or other other forms of advertising? Um, that depends on how much, uh, but it's a it's a good chunk of our marketing budget. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, around thirty percent of our customers uh, have like I know that you interviewed uh, Dream Data as well, uh, Stefan. Yeah, uh, which is the attribution tool. Uh, so I know how much it is, uh, of course. But attribution tools, sorry, Stefan, but it's not always the truth. <laughs> uh, so like, take that with like a little bit of what it is. Uh, but uh-huh. uh, like around thirty percent of it is like coming from paid as the original source or the first uh, mm-hmm. time they see us first impression um so it is quite a big thing for us and when we look at medias which i'm sure your next question is so i'll catch you here is, yeah yes it's all of the simple ones google ads facebook but into the mix there's also core captura which is like captura uh, is a review service if you don't know it which is uh, the best one i found there's g2 mm-hmm. as well uh, but we to be honest like we can't afford G2 yet, uh, won't afford G2. I think it's too expensive uh, for a business like ours. Like we're around 50 employees at this time and we don't have a hundred million investment in the bank. Like we're bootstrapped. I should have mm-hmm. said that from, day, uh, from the first second here as well. But we are bootstrapped uh, from the beginning. So I don't have mm-hmm. uh, money for G2 investment of like literally $10,000 to even get started. Captura mm-hmm. is click to pay. Uh, click mm-hmm. to... Uh, click to yeah, you pay for yeah, every cost single per click, click, right? Yeah, uh, cost per click. So way more uh, something that we can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
then you have some some other ones which uh, <laughs> I'm sure we can have. Uh, we could talk about this for a, a full episode as well. But uh, we tested Shopify, uh, not Shopify. Uh, we also do that, uh, but Spotify. Uh, I always confuse those two. Spotify, actually. Uh, look at it from a branding perspective. That's an interesting one. And you could ask Stefan how he would uh, attribute that in his attribution tool, which is no way in hell that you would be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, like we put a certain amount in branding and a certain amount of getting X amount of free trials like right now, right here. Um, so those are some of the things. One of the things that we have uh, quite a lot of success with at the moment is uh, LinkedIn conversational ads. Uh, okay. Very underrated. Like Google Ads, of course, it's just a performer for us. That's the that's where 60% of the spend are on Google Ads and it's performing for us. We could spend more on it and we will spend way more on it in the future as well. Mm-hmm. That's still the performer. But some of the more interesting things to mention because I think mm-hmm. everyone that's listening to this are probably running Google Ads. Yeah. But LinkedIn conversational ads. Um, very underrated, um, not allowed in certain countries, so be aware of that. Um, but if you have a sales team, uh, I can pull some of the numbers here, uh, actually, because I have numbers, but they're in Danish crowns. So I'll try to uh, recalculate it uh, while we go here. Um, like It's literally, if you look at it, uh, we get, and conversational ads is like, it's a paid message on LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. you message someone and uh, you pay for that message. You pay, I think, a certain amount per view and so on. Um, mm-hmm. And then you get to um, a form that's like lead ads, uh, classic lead ads from uh, Facebook and so on. Um, but it's LinkedIn's version of it, if you don't know it yet. Um, mm-hmm. That's performing for us because when we have a sales department that's ready to call them, so that's the outbound part of it that we kind of established six months ago. They're way mm-hmm. warmer than a cold lead, but they're still not like a warm lead that we want to give to our inbound department that's like getting free trials in every day. We tried that literally a year ago when they launched it the first time LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. It was like our inbound department was like, these leads are so bad. Like we don't want to spend time on it. That's when there were email ads, right? They, they were called email ads at that time. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have yes. the they didn't yeah, have all the, those all the um they didn't have all the conditional conversation trees that I mean you couldn't build a conditional sequence like you can now with conversation ads, I think. Right? No, not to the same extent, at least. Mm-hmm. Um so that's it was just basically a message in a CTA really and that's well. all you got back then. Yeah. We launched uh recently conversation ads too on LinkedIn and it's too early to tell, but I had a lot of fun building it and I can see why that just plays perfectly into your into your product because you want people to do the same thing is actually to think about having a conversation with that user, not, not just slapping a 10% discount on their way out the door, but, but saying, now, hold on a second. You were, you were recently looking at this brand and you're looking into this category and there's some things that you might not have seen. Did you, did you actually see this other style that's really similar or, and I think with conversation ads with those e-commerce people, they can actually start to see how they would use, how they would also use sleek note. I mean, it, it, am I right here or it's very, very similar to what you're hoping people are going to do with, with sleek note. It's very similar. And I can mention some of the numbers here as well, uh, because people might be interested in that. I'll just locked in. Please. So I'll, I'll try to like, this is on the spot here, but, and I have to even, uh, like recalculate them from Danish crowns to, I think I'll do dollars here, uh, because that's the okay. easiest one for me. Uh, but, um, from and this is based on a budget that's seventy thousand Danish crowns last month on it, so ten thousand dollars actually, around ten thousand eight hundred dollars last month. Um, we have a lead price on thirty-seven dollars. Uh, that's a lead price, so that's someone that's interested in it. So we get the information, mm-hmm. we get the phone number, and from through, there we have. Is a- that through LinkedIn lead ad, or do you take them to a landing page? Uh, LinkedIn lead ads only. We don't take them to the landing page. We have way better experience with just like put them, them in a LinkedIn. lead ad. Yeah. yeah, get them in LinkedIn right there, right there. Click on the bottom, get get all of the information, send that to us. So that's mm-hmm. the price for a lead that's interested to hear like more about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thirty-seven um, per lead, and out of that, uh, it is uh, one hundred and twenty per demo. So we also recalculate 
that part of it, whereas like how many of those, um, so you can kind of make your own conversion. 25%? Is that a 25% Uh, lead the demo uh, conversion? Yes, exactly. Um, I also have the numbers in... That's pretty awesome. Lead. Hundred and twenty-five dollars to to get a to get somebody onto a demo, and and yes. then demo to sale. Uh, what are we looking at there? I'm guessing about fifty percent. That's the next thing here. Like we normally have a demo rate from like demo to customers on eighteen percent, but it's a little bit lower so far on oh, LinkedIn. 18, okay. Probably, yeah, mm-hmm. probably because they are, I don't know, like not that warm as an inbound uh, demo. Yeah, uh, but it's around ten percent now. Um, so like good numbers and you can recalculate based based on our uh, lifetime value as well this doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like a full like number episode here but it's like an yeah. interesting take on it it's like our lifetime value is above the 5500 american dollars so you can okay. kind of see you can kind of see the business case like it's being very one, simple uh, from the- according to my quick math i'm just i'm just doing this right now um, yes. that, that right now you're enjoying about a five to one LTV to CAC ratio from LinkedIn yes. conversation ads. Bravo. That's awesome. Time to scale that baby. Yes, if, exactly. If you can. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's where bootstrap come into the picture as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some one thing is lifetime, but you get that over two years. Um, so it's like, yeah, for us, yeah, what is lifetime? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, for, so, so for us, like you ask about paid and I could say that we do all of the traditionals, we could go into Google ads as well, but it's like, that's way that's more or less traditional there's a part mm-hmm. of that's into branding which i think uh i can mention one thing that i like at least that we've seen is like don't turn off your um google uh, youtube uh your youtube uh ads don't turn those off because they don't perform in google ads that's a right mistake. that's great um, advice that's that's the that's like a mistake that I've seen of so many companies. It's like we can talk about traditional right. search ads, but YouTube that's doesn't not really work because it doesn't convert on the last click. But it's not supposed to. No, no, and it doesn't convert on any click because, like, yeah. I can mention a classic example. I normally would mention is like I watch YouTube on my um, what's it called Apple TV. It's like mm-hmm. there's no way that I can click on any of your ads, but I see them. I see mm-hmm. them. I see them, <laughs> Stefan from. Uh, yeah. Dream data. I see them every single time they turn on my goddamn YouTube, and I do that every single day. But yeah. I see them, uh, but I never, I can't even click on it. So it's like, mm-hmm. but it's a view. Um, right. So right. don't turn those off. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a view through conversion on Facebook, also that a lot of times people just uh, they they see it. Maybe they're seeing it for the second, third, fifth time. They don't click, but um. But the next day, they, they, they Google search the brand uh, just because it's top of mind or just something triggers something triggers the recall. And I, I like to actually look at the what happens as you invest in video at the top of the funnel, whether it's YouTube or Facebook. I like to look at what happens to branded search volume because to me, that that's where the connection is. How many of those impressions are ultimately going to drive people through recall to search? Because you yep. will get the conversions off of search still, but if you don't have enough volume of search, the way to increase the volume, especially branded search, is to get your brand out there with video. And uh, that is a uh, that is an argument that we are making a, a lot of times too. That don't kill don't kill a YouTube campaign because it doesn't look like it's converting. It's the wrong way to to measure it. Yeah. Well, I think Emil, we could go on at least another hour here. <laughs> I think I feel like we're just really getting warmed up. But uh, I know you've got a meeting coming up in a few minutes and. Uh, we are going to have to wrap it up. This has been awesome. Uh, is there anything that I didn't ask you or that, that you wished I would have asked you or anything anything that you'd also like for our audience to know? Mm, no, I, I think we can we can take an episode number two at one point. Um, I think at some point we'll also have to dive into like the traditional marketing forms of like a blog and webinars. How? What's the next step for those? Because they've been around for so many years. People are getting sick and tired of webinars. At least people are saying they are. But from mm-hmm. our numbers, people aren't. Uh, what What are the things that you can do to kind of renew those kind of meteors? So it's not the same traditional ones. I think that should be uh, our next episode. Absolutely. Uh, and I want to ask you one quick question about a webinar as we as we wrap it up here. In your opinion, what is the perfect length of a webinar today? For me, it's much shorter than the versions that I normally see. Yeah. I think uh, around 30, to 30 minutes, uh, 35 yeah. minutes 
is a mm -hmm. perfect webinar for me because I can see it and I can get value out of it. Don't spend 10 minutes on introducing yourself. You've probably seen this on the podcast here as well. It's like, I want to just dive into something as soon yeah. as possible because it means much more that you can show that you actually know something about the subject than telling your entire company history mm -hmm. and showing all of the nice logos that you have. It means so much more today that you just show that you know what you're talking about and the people will buy from you. Mm -hmm. um, and don't expect sales from a webinar straight out. Like expect sales afterwards. That's my second take on it. Like mm -hmm. we don't sell on webinars. Yeah, ninety-eight percent of the times. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, we have a lot to, to do for the next episode here, Emil. I, I think we are, uh, as I said, just getting warmed up. There's a lot more to cover. Really impressive what you all have been able to do organically and still getting the bulk of your growth and your conversions organically I, and bootstrapping that the whole way. Uh, it's very, very impressive. Um, and I think there still is a, a green field in, in the paid media side where you all are just getting, you know, you're going to keep doubling down on paid search because that delivers and, and conversation ads looks like it's, it's working well and there's more to do there. So congrats on that discovery too. And um, I really enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to the next one. Thanks, Paris. It was a pleasure. Thanks for the invite. And to all of the listeners, you can always just write to me. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Yep. Yeah. And, and just so that you all know, uh, that's sleek, sleek note, just like it sounds. And you can find Emil as uh, Emil Christensen with a K. And <laughs> he's on LinkedIn. You won't, be, you, you won't miss him. All right, Emil, thanks again. Look forward to the Thank next you. one. Thank Bye. You. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.